This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn the strategies and tactics you need to become a millionaire agent. Learn from top agents, brokers, team leaders, and experts in the industry who can help you on the path to success. And now, here's today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. Today, we have Dennis Folk, and he's been involved in hundreds and hundreds of real estate transactions in the Northwest. He's a designated broker at Terrafin, and he got into real estate when he was just 19 years old. And we're going to talk about that, of how it took him about four years to work part-time and then get into it full-time. So, Dennis, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And by the way, really cool uh, entrance video. I got to gotta give you some street cred with that. That was pretty cool. Thank you. So yeah. tell us about that. So you started when you're 19, which is yep. really young. I mean, you look yep. young now. So Thank I can't you. imagine when people saw you when you were 19, they're probably just like, and you want me to buy a house from you, right? Yeah, totally. How did that work out? And talk about that transition of yeah, how you went totally. full time. Yeah. So, um, it was really hard in the beginning. I was 19 and I waited tables at night. So I would do open houses sometimes even seven days a week. Um, and then I would wait tables at night and it was really tough. There was a lot of times where I just felt like giving up. There was literally one time when I came into the office, maybe two years into it. And this, I got in 2006. So you roll right into a pretty bad recession, which I think ended up being a good thing for my career. But there was one time just a couple years into it where I literally came to the office and I had my only two pending deals fall apart on the same day. I think they're both supposed to close on that day and they both fell apart. And I literally start crying. I literally started just bawling in the office. I was like 21 years old and I was so embarrassed for whoever saw me. Um, And I remember just people coming up, you know, some of the other leaders in the office and they're like, hey, just stick with it. Like you really have it. Like don't stop, do whatever it takes. And I remember telling them, I was like, no, you guys don't get it. Like, I, I'm going to get a real job. I'm going to be a milkman. I'm going to work for Comcast. Like, this isn't a job. Like, I got to get a real job. And so they encouraged me just to stick with it. And then I did. And then so at that point, I was at Washington State's largest privately owned firm. The next year, I was number four in the firm. The year after that, I was number one in the firm. And I think the fact that so many, the listing count really shot up at that time point. And the agent count was dropping heavily, right? Because agents weren't making a living. So they were just dropping like flies. So that created a lot of opportunities for me. And I can go more into that too, if you guys want in terms of kind of strategically how I went about that and made it work at that time for me. But yeah, it was really tough. So I encourage you, but it was a long-term game. And it was four years till I could consistently make a living and consistently close at least one house per month. Yeah, and I I want you to encourage people because there are some people right now who are working another job and they're kind of 50-50, you know, 50% yeah. of the time they're working at one job, 50% of their time they're working in real estate and kind of what made you just go, you know what, that's it. Like I'm done doing both. I'm putting all my eggs into the real estate basket, especially at a time where it sounds like it's almost like the same time it is now, because a lot of people are kind of going, well, their, their regular mindset would tell them this is not the time for me to go all on real estate because the market's not as good. This is, you know, all these different things. 
But I want you to kind of talk about what your mindset was to go, this actually is a great time because a lot of people are getting out of the business. Talk about that. A hundred percent. So one thing I think is important to say is that during that four-year time frame, I was I was full-time in real estate because I did the I worked at the restaurant at night. So if there's some people that might be 50-50, and that's fine. You have to do what you have to do depending on the hours of your other or secondary job. But I worked hard every day. So that's one thing that people have to know. And the results for the first couple of years, especially, were not there. So it was discouraging. It could get depressing. It could get, you, you know, defeating, uh, demoralizing. But I just kept showing up. And I just kept showing up every day and doing the boring work. I was the first one to the office every single day. And I thought, I'm just going to kind of refuse to lose. I'm just going to keep showing up and keep doing the things where nobody, there's nobody else even at the office now. It's like the janitor would be there when I got there. But strategically, here's exactly what I did at that phase. Again, agents dropping out, listings shooting up, right? Listings were on the market forever. Everybody's freaking house was for sale. So I went to like the busiest agents at our office. We had a lot of agents. And I, I went to them and I said, hey, would it be okay with you? This house is just sitting there. If I took a strip sign, so this is like a four inch by like two foot strip sign, and I put it across the top of your for sale sign on the post, so the, the top part of the wooden post. And I said, I'm going to help you advertise this listing. And if someone calls me, I'm going to give you a 25% referral. And I said, and by the way, I noticed your flyer box was empty. So I'd like to fill those flyer boxes for you too. And I'd like to put my info along the bottom with yours. And then I said, if someone calls me off that flyer, I'll also give you a 25% referral fee. So what my goal was with that was to get my phone to ring, right? Nobody can call me if my signs are sitting in my trunk. It's impossible, right? So I wanted to get my name, my number on as many signs as humanly possible because it gave me credibility. It gave me confidence. And guess what? It started to kind of make me busy because my phone started to ring so much. So my goal was to get my name on, on I think it was like 30 signs. It was like 30 signs in 45 days. And I blew that out of the water. I got my name on like literally probably 45 signs. And before you know it, my phone was ringing all the time, right? And so then over the next four years, it transitioned. I didn't have to do that anymore. And they became my listings, right? Because you just had enough buyers and you were talking to enough people and you were going on enough appointments and you were starting to get referrals. So I borrowed other people's listings with their permission. I bet you if I went to 15 agents and asked them to advertise their listings in that way, I bet you 14 out of 15 said yes, because they weren't selling anyway. And it didn't matter to them. Like the sign was just sitting there. And so, and where it came to me to the point at that four year mark where I decided, okay, no more restaurant uh, was because I would be waiting a table and I could hear my phone, not hear it, but I could feel it vibrate in my pocket, like getting a call. And I would go, oh my gosh, that's like a, that's a, that's a lead. I got to get this. So I'd literally pause at the table where I was taking the order, walk into the freezer in the back and I would take the call and I'd like, Hey, this is Dennis. You know, how can I help you? You know, I'm just at another appointment now. I'll get right back to you in the morning. But the, the, when it really started coming to where someone would say, hey, I want to see a house at six o'clock on Friday, and I knew I had a shift at the restaurant, I said, okay, no more. This is too painful. Like at this point, my second job is like absolutely impeding on my ability to take appointments. And so that was just too painful. So I kind of was forced to make that leap at that point. Mm. Let's talk about the number of listings that are on the market. It's funny because one of my friends posted, she lives in Utah, and she wrote, 
May, it was like 2000 listings in May. And she put in August, it was 6,000 listings, available, <laughs> which is 4,000 more listings available in her area from May until August. I yeah. looked up our numbers um, here in the Virginia Beach area. Hampton Roads. And in March of 2022, there were 3,830 listings. And then July, our August numbers haven't come out yet. So I'll see what those are. Yeah. But there are 5,272. So we've got basically an extra 2,000 listings available in Utah. That was an extra 4,000 listings available. So how can somebody look at this and go, because at first people are going, oh my gosh, this is not a good thing. And talk about how this can be a really good thing and changing your mindset to go, how do I take advantage of the number of listings that are available right now? Yeah, I think there's, I think it does create a lot more opportunities than there were before for new agents, right? Because new agents before you're working with buyers and it's really difficult because this is just even in March or April of this year and you're getting outbid every single time you're showing them a lot of houses, you're writing a lot of offers, and you're not making any money. So that's really difficult. And by the way, the number of listings back then was so small, only the top dogs are consistently getting them, right? So as a new agent, it's really hard to win out on a listing appointment because there just isn't that many listings, period. So the, the I, one of the big differences I noticed between this quote unquote recession, if you want to call it that, or market shift, as opposed to the last one because we sell a lot of new home communities. So every weekend we get the traffic reports on Sunday night or Monday morning on who's coming through our new home communities, who came through, what are they doing? What are their pain points? Are they going to write an offer? Do they have a house for sale? The difference is the traffic is there. The buyer pool is there. They just have options and they know they have options. They didn't have options back in March. They haven't had options for two years. So the buyer pool is there. They're smart. They're educated. They know who's offering what concessions. They know they have a few choices. So I think that creates a lot of opportunities because on the listing side, you got more listings, right? It means more of them being canceled, more being expired. So there's opportunities there. And just the listing count in general is growing. The agent count is shrinking right now a little bit, which helps brokers as well. And also buyers really have a shot. So if you start working with buyers and you can sell them something, your, your chance of getting a paycheck is a lot greater and the time frame to get to that paycheck is probably a lot shorter. To get right now. So that's I think some of the opportunities and the differences in my opinion. So let's talk about um recruiting and you had told me right before we popped on here you're like you know I really like recruiting. Yeah. And one of the things I always love the quote that says discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most and you know with our company with recruiting Agents can make a lot of money with recruiting, but what happens is in their mind, they go, okay, I can make a lot of money with recruiting, but at the same time, right now, I need the money right this second. So they, they actually say, okay, I want this now, but what I really want most is passive income and yeah. that ability to be able to make that passive income on a grander scale. So them having the discipline to recruit is really their better option if they could literally say, okay, I'm going to spend an hour a day. I want to hear you do a couple of scripts. So I'd love for Heather to kind of do some role play with her 
And Heather's not going to be too easy on you, Dennis. So Okay. All um, right. Bring it on, I Heather. want you to just go ahead and role play with her on how you would recruit her. Okay? Great. You want to just call her? Sure. I'm calling Heather now. Heather, I hope you pick up. <laughs> Hi. How are you today, Heather? I'm good. How are you? Great. Thanks for taking my call. You might not remember, but we actually did a transaction about three months ago and you really struck me as someone that was professional and took their job serious and is really a high quality broker. And today that's kind of hard to find. So I was just wanting to know, have, have you ever heard of our company, Terrafin Real Estate? We're fairly new. No, I, I hadn't. But thanks for saying those things. You're very welcome. Where are you at now? What brokerage are you at today? Oh, I'm at a brokerage called Canzel Realty. What do you like about it? Oh, well, I love that I get 100% commission when I cap. I love that I don't have office fees that I have to pay. I get all the technology basically for free. Um, I get revenue share for agents that I um, sponsor on. I mean, there's and they donate to the charity of my client's choice. So I love all kinds of things about them. Wonderful. Is there anything you don't like? Um, sometimes, mm, I mean, I like most everything about them. They don't really bother me very much. So I, I kind of just do my own thing. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we have lots of opportunities coming up. Uh, last year, we sold about $200 million in new homes. And so that leads to a lot of opportunities. If you ever have any interest in maybe sitting at a new home community or just being able to benefit from some of those leads that come in from those, um, it can really keep people really busy with the amount of leads that come in through the front door on a consistent basis. Uh, we also have a profit sharing program here where you can get paid uh, over the lifetime of the span that you and the broker you recruited are at our office. So it might be something to consider. If anything ever comes up, we would certainly love to meet with you, Heather. Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I'm so busy right now. I couldn't take another lead if someone called me and said, I want to see a house right now. But I, I thank you. That sounds like you're doing awesome over there. Yeah, you're very welcome, Heather. Um, have you ever thought about the size of your signing bonus? Um, no, I mean, I I have such a big book of business. I wouldn't, there would not be a site. No signing bonus would get me to leave what I'm currently doing. That's interesting. Well, that's really good to hear. It sounds like where you're at is a really high quality brokerage. If anything ever changes, we would love to talk about you and your future business as well as your signing bonus. That sounds great. Yeah. And I hope to do another deal with you in the future. Ditto. So, okay. That was great. So talk about kind of what you're, are you literally just picking up the phone and calling these people or do you, and let's talk about the signing bonus that you're doing. Let's, let's talk about that um, for just a second. Cause that does get people um, sometimes to move, but it also, um, well, go ahead. I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, totally. So it's really, I wish there was a, a magic sauce with recruiting, but from what I found, there really isn't. Every time you think you sort of have it figured out and a certain strategy works with one or two or three brokers in a row, then it won't work for one or two or three brokers in a row. So it's, and, and I think that's part of what keeps it exciting is that it is literally never the same thing. And it's a lot of fun. Um, your question in terms of, do I pick up the phone and call people? No, I don't think I ever have. I'm typically, so are you texting them and, and saying, like, what would your text be to have Heather call you? You know, a lot of times what I'll start with is, is an email, number one. I'm really big on just starting with an email. 
And <laughs> usually where I'm reaching out is there's got to be, they're really not a cold email. So they're not super warm a lot of times, but a lot of times they're cold, uh, not super cold, but not super warm. So what I mean by that is, do they have someone that they were friends with that recently joined our firm? Or do we have a couple of brokers that just came over from their firm? Maybe they weren't friends with them, but that's a connection there. Hey, we just brought on so-and-so and so-and-so. They are really happy with the move they made. You know, would you be interested in meeting? I'd love to tell you more about our company. Or like I sort of tried to do with Heather, hey, we did a transaction before, or we've done two or three transactions. I really enjoyed meeting with you. I would love to tell you more about my company. I try to find some some sort of connection so it doesn't just feel like, hey, I just randomly found you in the MLS and decided to throw you an email. Um, a lot of the brokers too, maybe a third of them are coming from word of mouth. So it's not just me having to recruit them. So a lot of the brokers here, they could probably do a much better job, but a lot of them will recruit on their own and go, hey, I'd kind of like to hear. You should go and meet with Dennis and see what you think. Like, I've been really happy since I made the move. Um, in terms of the signing bonus, so the the signing bonus surprisingly doesn't move a lot of people. There's no, there's no secret to that. Some people that go, well, crud. Yeah, I could, I could do that. Um, we don't do it with new brokers because they had this for whoever we do it to there, there has to be some forethought with it. And you have to kind of calculate it out to go, if I pay someone 5,000, 7,000 or $10,000, am I reasonably going to get those funds back within three months or six months? Um, so that's pretty important to us. You're only going to pay it to people that you're going to reasonably have a return on that within six months. So we don't offer it to new brokers and we don't offer it to really low producing brokers. They've got to be medium to higher producing brokers. And a lot of times we won't start with it, but if we feel like we're pretty close, and especially if they're interviewing other brokerages around our size, we'll absolutely then put that on the table. And a lot of times that might help push them over the edge. Um, but in general, it's a lot of fun. So if, if there's opportunities at your brokers for people to sell and to cap and to do really well with commissions, but also to make reoccurring money and long-term money in terms of recruiting, there's no reason that agents can't do both. No agent, I mean, I understand some days are super busy, but I think almost all days you can have some time dedicated towards recruiting other brokers because it's fun. It's not that hard. And you can just put some consistent effort in four to five days a week and probably see some results from that. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Kanzel Realty. One of the other things we give you is revenue share, where you get five levels of money in your downline every time you attract an agent to the company. And guess what? The first three levels open up right away. So let's pretend like you're not a great recruiter, but you bring on a couple people who are heavy hitters. Guess what? You don't have to hire five or 10 agents to open up those tiers. You automatically get those. So that's what makes us very different. This is Kanzel. Do your agents all have different commission splits or is everyone on the same split? So we have two, two different primary structures. One if you're under three years and one if you're over three years. So the cap and the split is better if you're over three years. And if you're under three years, the cap's a little higher and the split's a little better for the brokerage itself. This might end up getting me in trouble down the line, but if there's a broker we really want, we really like and feel like would be a great fit for the firm, and they just don't like our current structure and really like where they're at, we'll say, okay, show me what you have now. Give us an idea. If you if you like it that much, let us take a look at that. And if we think we can make sense out of it and, and almost mimic what they have or come as close as possible because we know they're comfortable with that, we'll go ahead and do that. We don't like to do that, but we also, if we can at all help, it won't lose a, a high-producing broker over that. Got it. 
What uh, what do you say in a text message or an email that would get somebody to call you? Um, a lot of times you're hoping to find something to where they might have a pain point because a pain point would be an opening. So there's a few brokerages in the area, some of the larger ones where we're very familiar with those offices and we know their pain points really well. So that really helps out if we do our homework or have gotten several brokers from that office. We already know the pain points. And so, um, and a and lot what of are they? So, so give us some of those pain points that you see. On I would say a lack of marketing assistance. I would say a lack of accountability, a lack of real hands-on training culture. Culture is really big. If they come from a brokerage where they feel like maybe people have their noses in the air and it's really clicky. That's one thing we're big on is that everybody roots for everybody else. So culture is surprisingly big. Culture is really big from what we see. Um, so you know, how do you get agents to re- kind of cheer other agents on? And I, I feel like we do have that. I think we could do a better job. I think our agents, uh, one of the things I'm always telling our agents, like when, when we post, like today we're getting ready to post a lot of stuff about top our top agents. And so like other brokers in our company should be going on our platform saying, hey, Great job, Bob. Great job, Susie. Keep it up. That sort of thing. What are some of the things that you're doing to kind of get other brokers to cheer each other on? That's a really good point. I wish I had more of a structure with that itself. I believe it starts with the top. So it starts with me as the owner and then our designated broker, which is me, but our managing broker and our assistant managing broker. It starts with the other leadership. So if if you see someone else have a post online, it's really cool to see so many people in the office go share that post or if somebody posts a win, like, Hey, got something in their contract. It is so awesome to see so many other people go and share that or comment on that. But I think the only thing I can say is that I think it really starts at the top. I think if the top, the first person they meet, which a lot of times is me or the first leadership they run into really has that mentality that we want everybody to win. A lot of that sort of trickles down and kind of runs its way through the company. But yeah, I think that culture is really important to just, and if you have a poison in the office too, either distance them from the office or, or even potentially ask them to leave the firm. Mm. Let's talk about some of the scripts that you're using that you have seen have really worked for, let's say either a sluggish buyer or a sluggish seller. Maybe they came in as a lead and you're trying to kind of revive and bring them back to life. So this is a seller that's not currently listed. Right. A seller and then also do a buyer. Maybe they were a lead that came in. Totally. Your platform somewhere. Yeah. yeah, totally. So with a seller, with me, a lot of times I, I, I kind of like I would with a broker, but I have to sort of find that opening. If there's no opening, there's probably not going to be any listing. So what is that opening? Let me find out what is stopping them now from listing. Is it they don't think they can get their price? Is it they don't want to pay a 6% commission? Is it they, they have an issue with showings. They don't want open houses. If I can find that opening and then, and then see if there's a reasonable way to alleviate that opening, that's really big for me. So I, I would try to find that pain point. If I can get them on the phone or get in front of them and find that pain point and then walk them through the solution to that pain point, that's really big. So an example might be a seller saying, well, I don't want any open houses. And I really think my price is, is 999 and the last broker I talked to only wanted to list at seven ninety nine, and I don't want to pay six percent. I only want to pay five and a quarter. 
I can probably try to solve all those problems. So even if I take that listing to the market and at the time it's slightly overpriced and maybe it's not the ideal commission, but it's still a good commission, I still got the listing. So the next week and the following week and the week after that, I can work on price reductions and I can work on marketing. And a lot of those listings before long will end up breaking loose. They just take a little bit more work. But so nothing with me can really start until I have a listing agreement signed. Then you can really get to work. And unless the seller is completely unreasonable, their price or their commission that they really desire are just too out of whack, that they're not going to be worth your time at all. The buyer, I would say, is kind of the same thing. If you can really sit down with them and get to know them and figure out what their point, what their pain points were, what their motivation is to buy a home or why they want to buy a home. And they have to understand, too, a few things when this is not the market you may have given up on before. This is a different market. So if you were exhausted from searching last year or exhausted from searching in the, in the beginning part of 2022, this is different. Let's go out and try this again. And if they're worried about interest rates, I, a thousand times over, if I can swing it with an interest rate, even on a 2-1 buy-down or a 3-1 buy-down in one way or another, swing it on the interest rate, I would much rather go out and look at four or five houses over a weekend, make an offer, and get the house under contract, which I think you can do in today's market. Whereas before, you're having to go way over. You're having to waive everything. You have to do non-refundable earnest money. And there's a really good chance you still don't get it. So I would rather buy now, find a way to do it with the higher interest rates. And when the rates go down in two, three, or four years, refinance the ideal interest rate. Because now I can buy something where before I couldn't. So who cares what the interest rate is if I couldn't buy anything? So let's do a quick role play with Heather. And she's going to she's going to be a buyer that reached out several months ago. She couldn't find what she was looking for. You're now following up with her. And her big thing that she's going to keep saying is, you know, I'm going to wait for the interest rate to go down before I buy something. So let's try that. Go ahead. Heather, I'm calling you. This is Dennis, a real estate guy. Oh, hey, Dennis. How are you doing? Great, Heather. How are you today? What have you been up to? Oh, gosh. Same old, same old. First day of school yeah. for our kids. Yeah. Okay. All right. My kids' uh, school orientation is today, so I know the feeling. Total chaos. Yes. <laughs> Listen, though, I, I just wanted to reach out and touch base because we haven't been out looking at home since, I think, last year, and I know maybe you kind of temporarily gave up. So I just want to touch base with you and see how you're doing and see how you're feeling about the market. Have you been looking at homes online? Have you found anything that looks like it may have potential? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I got so frustrated because there was nothing. Like everything we looked at had 30 offers on it and it was sold like an hour before it was ever posted. So I did stop for a while. I have been looking recently and I see there's some homes, but now I feel like, you know, the interest rates are two points higher than what we originally were, when, you know, when I was looking last year. And so, you know, I think I'm just going to wait because... Now I can't, you know, buy as much as I wanted. So I'm just kind of looking, but just waiting for the interest rates to come back down. Well, I hear you, Heather. That that does make sense to me. But the reason I'm calling is there's one thing that, that made me think of you and why I wanted the call. We were looking in a community called Cedar Park. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I loved that. I loved that community. Awesome. Well, anyway, I showed almost the exact same floor plan that you and I looked at and we got totally whacked with a multiple offer situation. And I remember that you guys were crying in the driveway and it was really frustrating. I showed that exact same floor plan and guess what happened? What? We got it for 12,000 below their asking price. 
we got $18,000 worth of seller concessions. So my clients not only got all their closing costs paid for, but they got to buy, do a permanent interest rate buy down that the seller paid for. And guess what? On top of that, we went through our inspection and we got the furnace serviced and we got a new hot water tank and they just, just closed yesterday and they are really happy. So that transaction made me think of you and your husband because it just happened. And not too long ago, we had had, you know, a really bad, frustrating experience there. So I just want to call you and tell you about that. Mm. Oh, wow. That was good. Yay, that was really good. I love that. That was excellent. You are really talented at what you do. I'd love for you to kind of talk about the verbiage that you use when you're asking for the seller. If you're going to put that into the contract about the seller buying down the interest rate, could you talk about that verbiage that you would add in? Yeah, so there really is no special verbiage, in my opinion, as long as it says which I don't know how your guys' forms are. They're probably fairly similar to ours, but uh, seller paid buyer loan closing costs, you know, up to X. It really doesn't matter from the seller standpoint what you do with the funds after that. The important thing is to talk to the buyer's lender to figure out, okay, I have $15,000. Or right now, a lot of our builders are offering $25,000. I have X to work with. The seller doesn't care what you do with it at that point. So it's your job to negotiate the total amount of that. But it's really up to the buyer and the lender to figure out what the most efficient way to utilize those funds are. The seller doesn't care what you what you do with the funds in, in most circumstances. Yeah, that's where I was going with it is like, should you put an exact amount like that way the seller knows? Because if you say they're going to pay down their interest rate by yeah. one point, then that gets too fuzzy. Totally. You got to like, have a cap you or put an amount. You got to have either a percentage, so like 2% or 3%. I think it's even cleaner to have a flat dollar amount. And a lot of times you got to, I assume it's the same for you guys, but I believe that FHA and VA probably have some maximum seller contribution limits. I don't know what those are. So that might be one thing to talk to the lender about first, because even if you can negotiate a $50,000 credit, FHA might have a limit on that of like three or three and a half percent that the seller can, can contribute. So uh, but yeah, correct. I would definitely put it. And if they ask, you can tell them, hey, this is what is making your house. If you want that price and you're talking to the listing agent, this is allowing us to buy it. So you want your price. This is where, where the how the buyer gets that payment to where they use so they can actually buy it and pay the price you're asking. Mm, I love it. Well, Dennis, this has been wonderful. You've given us so many nuggets. So Dennis, tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you at. Awesome. Yes. Uh, on Instagram, you can follow me at, it is dennis.m.folk, and that's F-O-L-K. And then on Twitter is at Dennis underscore Folk, F-O-L-K. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys having me on. This has been a lot of fun. I'm not too used to the role play stuff, so I like the challenge. This was great. We really appreciated you having on. Thank you guys so much for being with us, and we will be back in just a few. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review so we can get this out to more agents. And tune in next week for another power-packed episode. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast.